Live from the Toad Hop Network Studios. In Hollywood, this, this is the ToadHopNetwork.com. It is strongly addictive. Radio worth watching. Radio worth watching. This is Vox Populi. Vox Populi. The voice of the occasionally interested people. A political talk show for people who don't spend a lot of time talking politics. The only agenda. Understand, inform, and entertain. Now, here's your host, Sean Astin. Wow. We're on the air. We are live. Hello, everyone. As uh, you may or may not know, my name is Sean Astin. You are listening to the uh, Vox Populi, voice of the occasionally interested people, radio program, uh, radio worth watching here on the Toad Hop Network. I have been on hiatus forever, uh, since well before Thanksgiving. Uh, but we're back now, uh, joined by Mackenzie Astin. Hola. A.K.A. the cool one. ¿Cómo estás? Hola. 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 Estoy bien. Gracias. Usted. Okay. Where were you? You were, in, uh, you were in the Dominican Republic, were you not? I was. I, and I did a couple of shows from the Dominican Republic. And then I had... Um, and then we were back here and I did a couple of episodes. And then... You uh, are a busy man. You know, things happen. But then... Um, Thanksgiving and... I don't know. Lots of stuff happened. And I just kept thinking, man... Politics. I'm so sick of politics. I can't stand it. What? You? Sick of politics? I am what? sick of politics. Let's talk religion. I know. All right, great. Of course, there's a political component to the religious conversation. But, mm. uh, but you know, it's it, it, most people that I know feel the way I feel uh, right now most of the time. Um, most people you think feel as though they are most people. Most politics. people hate politics. They're tired of politics as usual. Uh I think they just hate po- – They, you know, even Johnny Ice over here is right now uh, moving some equipment around. Uh, you know, we were t- I was talking about, you know, January 20th, maybe, you know, for the inauguration we have should have a special edition uh, episode. And uh, he said, well, he said it's on Sunday. And I said, yeah, he, Johnny, what would you say? You remember what you said? I'm sorry. I was doing some you, technical what is, stuff. What, what did you that? say? I said, hey, maybe we should do a special edition, you know, January 20th uh, inauguration episode. Oh, and yeah, it's on yeah, Sunday. Yeah. And you said. Yeah, well, I watch football on Sundays. <laughs> hmm. <laughs> totally unabashed. I thought it would be better coming from him. Um, Wouldn't that be probably a week that the, the NFL takes off? Uh, well, that's what I was thinking. It was close enough to the Super Bowl. I think that's the, right. their they're off week. Yeah, they're off week. So. Which do you think they I, planned it that way? Well, that's that's I think that's a very important question. But will Justin game. will Justin Bieber be performing? That's what we need to know. Will who else will be in, in concert that uh, will suck up all the oxygen from the? Uh, mm. uh, it'll be interesting to see the inauguration. You know, last uh, two thousand eight, it was you know I think by all accounts the biggest in terms of attendance. Um, it was largely attended. It was largely attended by but, all the people that were there. Uh, and some who weren't felt as though, but no, the, um, but yeah, so it was hugely attended and it was, uh, really, you know, the televised version of it and, he, and they got it wrong, right? The, uh, Chief Justice Roberts and, and, uh, and, uh, President-elect Obama, Obama got the, the, uh, do you remember that? The, the oath? They, they got, got the, the oath, oath wrong. wrong. Yeah, well, they biffed the oath. They had to redo it. I think that that was actually, uh, you know, part of, uh, part of a, a greater story. 
having to do with uh, the president not actually being the president for a number of different reasons. Yeah, but they redid it again that night just to, just to put any of those fears to, to rest. That's, they, they re, that's and, good. Yeah, it was a very private, quiet ceremony, but they wanted to get the, the verbiage exactly. Do fears ever really rest? Though in this country, isn't oh. this isn't this country isn't the the isn't the the dominant paradigm in this country about the creation and execution of fear for the purpose of achieving agendas? Well, I don't know. Let me look at the. I, I went out and got. I went out and got to Starbucks, and there was a New York Times there. Missile attack on rebels escalates the war in Syria. Awful kidnappings fuel extremists in West Africa. A halfway house built on the exa- on exaggerated claims. So fear that people will take advantage of. Um, the, uh, the the misfortune of others. Uh, a halfway Fed ties house built to, on exaggerated claims. Yeah, do you want to hear what that one was? This guy apparently – this was funny because I was talking to Elizabeth and uh, our 10-year-old and occasional um, – uh, guest and co-host on the show. Did she co-host the show? Yeah, it was. Everybody really responded to her. But we were talking about something, and, and, and she was, I guess, in school or one of her uh, other um, activities. They were talking about f- sort of philanthropic work. And tr- and trying to decide, you know, who who should, you know, who should she, with her, you know, considerable talent, try and figure out how to help. Should she help People, you know, kids who don't have books and, and like the uh, boys and girls things. That's what her big sister did at one point was kind of stock the libraries of a couple of the boys and girls homes or or soup kitchen stuff. Or, or Christine was talking about my wife was taught your sister in law was talking about uh, uh, pantries, food pantries that, you know, she was describing that there are these massive buildings that have that warehouse food for homeless people. But they, they kind of run out of staples and like, you know, like, I don't know. I don't know what they run out of, but they run out of stuff, and so you could help with that. And she was really trying to think of what she should do, and um, and I, you know, I drew her attention to this one gal that I met when I was on President Bush's council on service and civic participation. I met her at the White House, and she was young. She was really young. I mean, she was probably seventeen or something like that when I met her, and she had done this thing where she had figured out how to feed homeless people and she was responsible for like 50,000 homeless people getting fed. How about that? And uh and Allie or sorry, uh, Elizabeth said, "Well, how did how did she do it?" And uh, I I can barely remember whatever she did, but I you know, it was it was, you know, she had led by example and then talked to people and found some way to multiply her efforts and so forth and and uh, I started saying, you know, there's lots of people who have these examples that can help. I said, you know, but if you help one person, that's that's one person who's helped. And so you, she was really wrestling with that. And then I opened up the New York Times today, and it says, A halfway house built on exaggerated claims seeking an operator for a major halfway house in Brooklyn. The federal government awarded a $29 million contract to a nonprofit group with a promising name, Community First Services and uh, Impressive Credentials. On its website and in its bids for contracts, Community First promoted its extensive experience doing work for government agencies, including New York City's Department of – it sort of goes on. It's weird, huh? It kind of goes into – it doesn't sound like it's so much a community service as it does a a kind of lobbying organization. But Mm. but anyhow, I think then it just goes on to talk about how there is – misrepresentation and and you know kind of overreach with what people want to be able to do so you know you get down to um i think this may be a good segue to our the conversation that everyone's having anyone who's talking about politics or the news right now has to uh be focused on this thing that shall not be named for some 
Oh, let me say it. No, no, wait. No, you can't say it yet. I actually <laughs> I tweeted it in the first tweet about the day, but but anyhow, this uh this this phenomenon that's happening in this uh negotiation that's happening. Say it, say it. I I'm, I've got to work up to it. It's got to be right. It's got to be right. right. It's got to be right. So, um but anyhow, one of the big issues goes towards what how much can government do to help people? What kinds of services how how much in government services should be provided to people and then you know the conversation logically continues to how much can non-governmental agencies do how much can nonprofit organizations do and you you know you find people who are effective and they they try and grow the impact that they're having until such point as you know unless you're um, the Red Cross or United Way or um, and even a number of other big organizations who, by the way, all have their own uh, controversies. You know, it's, there's a, you know, Hurricane Sandy hits, everybody donates right away to Red Cross, and then you wonder, does that, all that money go right to the Sandy event, or does it get spread out a, a, around the uh, the Red Cross of, um, effort around the world, and, and is, you know, how much of the Red Cross money is spent on administrative stuff, how much actually gets it. So you, you, um, I think in order to understand any of the issues that we're facing, we kind of have to get down to realizing that at some point you have to both trust what other people are saying they can do and inspect what other people are doing. So and, – and somehow I think the government is um, – I mean it's just amazing. The government – awarded a $29 million contract to this community first group. That's a lot of money. $29 million. That's a lot of sandwiches, you know. That's a lot of uh, books and, you know, literacy, uh, you know, literacy training. And, uh, you know, Community First hailed the visions of its founder, Jack A. Brown III, who had portrayed as a veteran. I'm sorry. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Go go back just a bit there. It's founder... Kien? Who? Jack A. Brown. Oh, I thought you said Jack Abramov. No, that would be funny. That would be funny. <laughs> no, it's terrible. Community. Uh, I kind of watched. Uh, I watched a whole rash of uh, documentaries all about um, Casino Jack. Yeah, and 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 other you know lobbyists. Go on, keep going. Yes, I listen. You, did, you didn't watch them. Here. I watched them, but they were uh, um, on Netflix. It's just amazing because you you look up. Two movies that you really like that have a similar theme, like um, you know whatever it is. The the um, and, and I got into a lot of uh, documentaries too. But and then there's and then there's ten more just like it. Mm. And you go, you, it's a rabbit hole. You'll never come out of it. All mm. you'll be doing is watching documentaries about the things that you're interested in. Yes, yes. Um, but listen to this: a community first hailed the vision of its founder, Jack A. Brown III, whom it portrayed as a veteran of Gulf War combat with deep expertise in. Air defense, artillery, and the group declared that it, <laughs> as it's just the kind of guy I want building a house. <laughs> Terrible. Uh, and as a group, uh, and the group declared that, as its name suggested, it had consulted closely with leading community organizations about setting up the federal halfway house in Brooklyn, a federal halfway house. Did, I've, we've done work with like Covenant House and stuff, right? I think they had a big fundraiser last night, and the Covenant House that uh, you know. Offers uh, shelter, yeah, and 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 a kind of structured environment, yeah, for people who are you know trying to make a transition from 
abuse, substance abuse, or incarceration, or whatever. Yes. Into yeah. so, but this is interesting. Uh, none of these claims are true. An investigation by the New York Times showed. Oh, I guess they're proud of themselves. Uh, the Brooklyn facility is supposed to be a pillar in an expanding system of federal halfway houses, which are intended to help inmates after they're released from federal prison by arranging for counseling, drug treatment, and jobs. It just sucks because that's exactly what should happen. Mm-hmm. And so for that to for the government to kind of try and do that and then have it fail like this, it just sets everybody back. It's so annoying. Um, yes. Maybe they should try building a whole house. Oy. So, <laughs> yes, uh, I'm just okay. So, oh, hold on, we got a caller coming in here. Oh, Gosh, take us off of this. Hold on. Hey, this is Sean Aston. Thank goodness you're on the air. Rescue us from ourselves. Hey, Sean, how are you, brother? Good. Who's this one calling? This is Gannon Nickel. Gannon Nickel. Where are you calling from? That's right. I'm calling from Ohio, actually. Cool. Well, does it feel like um, like a, a black hole opened up in Ohio after all of the uh, ads and everything ended? Oh, goodness gracious. I'll tell you what. Yes, it has. I've been in L.A. For, for a long time now, since January, and I come back every month, and I'm welcomed by ads, ads, and ads, and ads. And so it's... Uh, it's great to see that that's over with, but you know it's not over yet, Sean. It's still it's still very intense over here in Ohio. Being that Ohio is is um, a powerful force in politics, um, and right now what I've been paying attention to, Sean, right now is really how how far we are, uh, how close we are uh, to increasing about twenty two hundred dollars to average middle class families in spending uh, or in increases to the taxes and. Um, uh, we're, about, we're we're about 19 days away. What do you think about that? From that that decision, well, we've the house we've uh, we're 13 minutes into the show and we haven't said the phrase out loud yet. Say it. Say uh, it. Uh oh. Uh oh. <laughs> what, what phrase is that? Well, the phrase that. Uh, well, let me try and read a definition. In anticipation of your call. I I kind of pulled up something. Um, good. Good. I'm the glad. the. Uh, well, I'm just gonna say. <laughs> it. You gonna say it? Well, the, the, what you're talking about is wait. How many days did you just say? It's 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 December thirty first, right? Or are you talking about the yeah. uh, end of the end of the world with the Mayan thing? What do you? What, how many days did you put us out? <laughs> oh 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 no! I'm talking about I I I'm not I'm not real sure, Rokina, on, on what what you what you started uh, discussing over there before I called, but I I'm watching you know uh, the moving picture screen over here, and I'm seeing a lot of folks. Uh, in the Senate, um, the, in fact, I'm watching Dick Durbin, majority whip in the Senate, um, discuss this this huge increase in taxes for the middle class if uh, the House doesn't pull together and decide on an economic um, strategy for 2013. So, do you um, understand the mechanism that created this scenario? Last year, do you understand why? It, and I'm, I'm not asking a loaded question. I mean, I think I understand a little yeah. bit, but I, I don't understand a, a ton of it. But do you think you understand? How this particular moment of of uh, crisis was sort of intentionally designed yeah. by Congress? Yeah, you know, you know what? What I what I, I I'm not real I'm not real sure what. Um, that's kind of that's kind of an interesting question, very open ended. I'm, mm-hmm. I, I could go at a different angles from that, but I'm what I'm thinking. You're saying, Sean, is that um, where this all sort of began? Is that 
kind of what you're discussing? Well, what what I'm I mean, listen, if we were to get into uh, you know the nature of the way the uh, you know the government takes and chooses how to spend and allocate money, we you, we we could be here quite a long time. But I, I'm just referring to, and I'm going to say it now, the so-called fiscal cliff. There it is. Mark the time. Twelve fifteen. Fifteen minutes into the show, I we made have officially used the expression "fiscal cliff" in the United States. The fiscal cliff is a term used oh, to refer my. to the economic efforts that could result in tax increases, spending cuts, and a corresponding reduction in the U.S. budget deficit beginning in 2013 if existing laws are not changed by the end of 2012. So the way it's <laughs> the way it started, and by by uh, the fiscal cliff is a, is specifically referring to a yes. kind of chain reaction of, of several things that are going to happen. Um, yes. And and uh-huh. it was designed as a and it's I actually think it's a it's it's great because uh-huh. in the political climate nobody was really you know communicating well, effectively. What do, you, what do you think is great, Sean? Well, I think it's great. Basically, what happened was there was a a a, de- uh-huh. a, a fiscal a, a debt ceiling last year in yeah. August. Yeah. The, uh-huh. We we arrived at a place in this country where we had committed to spend. Uh, more money than we had the ability to pay out. Earned. So, yeah, and pay out. Absolutely. So, well, so the fiscal cliff, though, as I understand it, was is just uh, – sorry, not the fiscal cliff. The raising the debt ceiling was simply saying that the money we had already committed to spend, we would authorize the Treasury to release. That's my understanding of what the, the – um, uh, the the ceiling was about now you know the republican side of the uh aisle was very um really didn't want to increase the the debt ceiling they wanted to um increase they wanted to decrease spending so yes, yes absolutely mm-hmm. so so what we had was a moment where um the republics republicans kind of had if not the the Democrats and the president over a barrel. They had the country over a barrel, and they oh, and yeah. they, they ba- and, and this this um, last minute kind of brinksmanship that happened with regard to and it had happened really yeah. recently before that. I think a year before that or something like that. And and uh, mm-hmm. and it was one of these July things. Mm-hmm. Right. So so what happened was, as I understand it, the the rest of the world watched in kind of shock as the great economic super superpower of the world um, played a, a, a game of political chicken that if it would have ended a different way would have meant that the United States was defaulting on its oh. obligations oh oh well 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 you know you know Sean that, that that's that's a, that's a that's a you took kind of a 180 there on on the uh, um, Fiscally, this 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 cliff this cliff that we, we I hear that if if we don't get our our um, well, I'm not at the cliff our, yet. I'm not at the cliff. I'm going back to August a year ago when oh, yeah. the go- when the government was was in a game of chicken with regard to just the raising ceiling. the debt ceiling. Mm-hmm. And so um, the, the threat at that moment was that if the United States doesn't agree to raise its debt ceiling we would default on uh some of our uh our obligations and then that loans, would... our loans yes absolutely yeah. which would which would bring us from an a triple a rating to a to a nearly triple d rating and that and that's not good considering our, our our national credit score and um and and what we can continue to borrow more money and you know what in 2008 after 
um, President Obama took office, Hillary Clinton knew about a couple months later after he had done that, her first trip overseas was to China to ask China to continue letting us borrow more money because of because of this this foreseeable future and the debt ceiling and see the debt ceiling is something that had that that, that was discussed and the, the problems that we were going through and still continue to go through right now because we still haven't gotten that down in concrete this what do we do with this 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 debt um, I believe that the Republicans mm-hmm. even even some Democrats in the House and in the Senate when were were in the right when they discussed look. Look, look, fellas and, and, and gentlemen and ladies, look, we cannot continue to spend more money. We have to find uh, a solution. And, and the solution that I believe the responsible solution, Sean, and I know that you understand this, is that, is that, and is that we have to control what we spend. And so how we do that is to cut. There are a number of different places where we can cut. You see, Sean, you have discussed this. I know you have, Sean. You're a bright guy. You know, you and I have seen, we've worked together before, and we've, I've seen what you've, what you've, what you've uh, discussed. And, and, and if we cannot afford that new car, you can't afford it. You have to fix what we've got to work with right now. And so spending more money in different places like healthcare, H.R. 3942, which, they try, which they, uh, the president pushed forward into the Senate, um, or um, in Does Medicare have a name? and other social programs, this is what's costing Americans, the middle class, really, essentially. And this is what's costing us. We're spending in different items and in different uh, ways um, that we can't, we can simply just, we can't afford to do that right now. And the reason why, Sean, and this is the question that a lot of Americans are asking right now: Why can't we afford this stuff right now? What is it that we're, what is it that we're doing wrong? Why can't we get health care? figure it out why can't we do these things well it's because we are not like you said making enough money uh fiscally obviously uh making enough money to 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 uh uh outbalance our debt which is cleared 16 trillion dollars this year you see 16 trillion dollars let me tell you something sean it's a lot of m&ms trillion dollars one trillion dollars this is an interesting fact one trillion dollars if you were to pile up a pile of one thousand dollar bills, uh, it go to the it go to the moon and back. It would go to the moon and back. That is uh, actually it wouldn't. It would go sixty seven point nine miles high. That's high. That's that's just you $1 need oxygen up that high, probably. No, maybe not. Listen, man, you you make that's a uh, lot of money. Here's the thing. And yeah, so, I love that you are. Mm-hmm. Um, go ahead. Go ahead. Mm-hmm. Sorry, Mac is just uh, Mac's just playing a little uh, Pink Floyd for us. Uh, you, you, you know, you, I, I want to try and um, I, first of all, I'm so glad that you called, and I really appreciate your um, the, the fact that you you track these things and that you you care about them, and you uh, you, you clearly have a a, a, a distinct take. You know, Sean, you know, let me let me let me point out one more thing here for you, brother. Um, the best way to understand politics is to understand people, because because running for office and, and having these and having these uh, different um, like like you you know you have all these different aspirations and helping people in politics and and things like that you see you see doing all of those things has nothing to do with politics but everything to do with people because Sean and you know this people matter people matter regardless of the color of your skin or your economic background and this is the time now we have a chance to stand up for those folks who aren't 
as vocal as, as, as they can be. And most often than not, it's because they don't know how to be vocal. They haven't been given the tools to be vocal except for one vote a year or two votes a year and, 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 and voting periods a year in the state and then nationally. You see, we are running into a time and a period of a period in the United States when folks are not educated in the facts of how to help themselves and how to speak up. If you want to, if you want to help people, Sean, you have to educate them on how they can speak up. Let them know, besides all the problems of the United States, let them know what they can do to stand up for themselves. And I'll tell you how they do that. They can stand up for themselves by having faith and Faith in the family, and that's where it starts, in the family. Not faith as in religious faith. I'm talking about faith in work, faith in, in people, and, and, and faith in the United States government. And this, the second that we turn our backs on our own government is the second that we stop paying attention to the future of this United States. If we want to change Washington... We have to change the household. The mental. I want to like. I want to cheer and go running household. out the. I want to like cheer and run outside. Yeah, man, believe in ourselves. Yeah. Believe in work. All mm-hmm. right, I appreciate your call. We're going to continue to uh, wrestle with some of these concepts as we go forward. Um, yeah. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. Sean, I appreciate you doing this, man. It takes <laughs> a lot of courage to do what you're doing, and you know what? Don't be afraid to be that way. Stand up, and even better than that, hold your ground. Because it's, it's not enough to stand up. Because a lot of people stand up, or are pushed away or pushed down. You, we must stand our ground. The concrete that we stand on is all that we have. Our Americanism is all that we have. <laughs> that is what the rest of the world is counting on. All right, my so, friend. We'll take that. We'll take those thoughts with us. Thank you so much. All right, brother. Bye. All right. So I'll see you later. And you, and you stay safe over there. All right. Will do, man. All right. Thank you so much for that call. Wow. He was, uh, that was like a, I don't know. I felt like we, we went, sometimes when people are sitting at their house, he said he was watching the uh, watching C-SPAN. And I can't imagine how many hours of C-SPAN I've watched. But if somebody just kind of hands you a microphone when you're sitting in your living room and lets you stand up and talk to a few thousand people about what you think about what you're seeing, it, uh, it's like, oh, he was on, he was on Hyde, Hyde Park Corner right there uh, going, going on. I um we may have did we uh, Johnny Ace how are we doing on that phone number? Yes, yeah, she's just uh, taking the dogs out, and as soon as she taking gets the dog, who yeah. take the dog? And okay, cool. Calling it. Mac, you're so funny playing that uh, Pink Floyd. Yeah, <laughs> I'd like to play it Get some out. more. Got a little uh, problem with the plug here. Though. Oh, the plug we're is gonna, not doing. We're gonna work. It I want to I want to keep wandering through what my uh, layman's understanding of the uh, the fiscal cliff is. Oh boy! And that is because he he jumped into um, our credit rating. If we would have defaulted on our do you understand what the debt ceiling is? Yeah, it's that thing that's not a glass ceiling, but it's made out of debt. <laughs> so and if we can just women break, can go through it easy we as well. Just break through, then our credit rating uh, will be a double D, which I'm surprised uh, America doesn't appreciate because <laughs> oh, every American I know, red blooded, loves uh, a nice oh, double no. D. Oh, no, the it's interesting when you look at the credit the credit agencies. Uh, and this is what I found uh, fascinating. Okay, we have a 914 number. Let's jump in. Hello, hello. Hey, it's Catherine. Catherine! Crazy! <laughs> oh, my gosh, you're just in the nick of time. Hi, how are you? Well, I'm I'm sorry. I don't know how this kind of slipped off the radar, but... 
No, you're um, here. You're here. That's all that matters. We're, this is our Perfect. first episode back from a uh, from an extended hiatus. So uh, you're you, you're legitimizing us once again. Every time you you come on. <laughs> Hey, you've got low expectations, buddy. <laughs> Will you please, for the love, I was, we, we, I went 15 minutes in this political radio show without saying the word fiscal cliff, and I wanted some sort of a prize for it. Um, you deserve one. I deserve one. But the, but then a, a guy from Ohio called in, and we, we started, and I kind of, I wanted to go back to August of 2011, and I wanted to explain what the debt ceiling was. I figured if we started from there and worked up to here, it's only a, it's only a year. We don't have to go back all through like you know economic theory because it's it's just in a year this has gone on. Um, Thank you, Jesus. Oh yeah, it's, it's insane. So so basically, uh, never mind what the credit rate credit. We were just about to talk when when you called in about the uh, the credit agencies and what it meant that we, we were downgraded just a little bit. Um, you know, from in, in last August as people were. Uh, concerned the, the uncertainty about you know what our politics was going to do to our to our our kind of approach to really global banking isn't it and and uh, and then they did this thing Congress did this thing where they basically it was like a Mexican standoff right they put a gun to each other's head and said okay we're going to raise it right now and then if we don't figure out a solution by the end of next year like everybody's going to shoot at the same time is that a fair analysis? Well, I think that's probably as good as any. Uh, no, we're, we're in an absurd situation where where there are certain politicians, uh, very influential ones, living in an ideological box, and they either don't understand um, economics, don't um, you know understand math, um, or are simply so concerned about you know base base voters that that they're unwilling to look at the facts and argue legitimate good strong policy and they're at least as of today seem to be willing to you know to let us have some difficulty now the the term fiscal cliff is uh you know a political and media inspired term that has very little meaning I mean, the U.S. has the reserve currency in the world. Uh, we've got the Federal Reserve that you know, takes care of a lot of things, in term, including you know, printing money as need be, buying debt, doing all sorts of things. Uh, it may be a difficult moment, but there, this is an imaginary clip. But what are what are the there's there's several things that are gonna that supposedly are gonna happen. One is the as the uh, Bush era tax cuts expire, they will automatically. Uh, revert to the Clinton era tax numbers, which would result in what is essentially a, a two percent or something like that uh, tax increase on on everybody. Is that a is that am I right on that first piece? Um, well, I'm not I'm not sure about the two percent. I won't argue with you. I just don't know. But essentially, yes. And this is something you, you used a very important term that people need to remember. The tax cuts are set to expire. Um, when the Bush tax cuts were enacted, we had a very big stimulus, we, we, I mean uh, surplus. They said we've got to return some of this to the voters, but they set them to expire and return to the Clinton-era numbers. Uh, these were not in perpetuity. So when they talk about when, – when you hear people arguing, you know, they're going to raise your taxes, no. The Republicans that passed Bush's tax cuts did not make them permanent. The Republicans – set them to expire for a reason, because if, in fact, we had uh, used up the surplus, 
circumstances, economic circumstances had changed, then you know Congress can let these return to the to the previous rates and make appropriate adjustments as needed. It seems so like a pretty reasonable Congress thing for them to do. Congress is not raising rates by letting them expire. Just people they were never meant to be permanent. How did the previous rates uh, compare to uh, even more uh, uh, Catherine, rates? just so you know, that's my little brother, Mackenzie, who uh, uh, co-hosts the show sometimes. Catherine, say hello to Mac. Mac, <laughs> hello, Mac. Hello, Catherine. How are you? <laughs> I'm doing well. Wonderful. Please continue. Oh, uh, how, how did the Clinton tax rates compare to the tax rates uh, prior to him, uh, either Bush 1 or Reagan or uh, Ford or Carter going back? Well, I, we are today at an all-time tax low, despite the political rhetoric to the contrary. Clinton's rates rate, were raising. Uh, from Bush Sr., but not by much. Um, when you look at the effective tax rate for, for most people, we are right in you know, the mainstream. We are not highly taxed compared to many other countries, and certainly for tax rates in the United States, we are at virtually an all-time low in the last 60 years. We've had corporate rates that I think under Bush Sr. dipped a little lower than they are now. We're talking about the the stated rate, not the, the actual rate that corporations pay, which of course is much lower than, than the 35% top rate that, that we have on the books. So you know, here we're being sold this political rhetoric about how overtaxed we are. And in American history, as well as comparatively with the rest of the world, we have relatively low tax rates. And so the rhetoric is, is a bunch of nonsense. When, when were the tax rates uh, at, their, at their highest? Uh, how far right back did we have to go? Well, 90, it was 91% it was under Eisenhower for the top tier. Um, Jeez, when, can you imagine that? When the tax, 1916, when we first uh, implemented um, you know, the taxation in this, in this way, the federal taxation, I think it was just the top tier were taxed, and it was relatively substantial. So we have been and in the over 50% rate probably, um, I, I'd say, at least half, if not more than half the time since um, the tax, you know, we, we began to tax uh, people in 1960. How, and how was the country doing economically uh, during those times when the tax rate was that high, the Eisenhower area, era and uh, thereafter? Well, Eisenhower era was leading into a real boom in this country. You know, it's post-World War II. Uh, we really took off in the mid-50s, mid sort of the golden era was mid to late 50s, you know, through, oh, uh, mid-70s um, when we began to see a spiral down. Uh, and it, it's, it's important to, you know, to understand that the economists will tell you that the tax rate to a certain point does not infect investment dollars. People don't say, oh, gee, I've, I've got a great business opportunity, but I am not going to put the money in or invest because the tax rate is 36 versus 39. Uh, they might if it was 36 versus 91. You've right. got a different story there. But, but we had a boom time, and I think Kennedy brought us down to it was either 70 or 60 percent from Eisenhower's 91 continual high until Reagan really dropped uh, when he first came into office. But then remember in 86, uh, when he said corporate taxes must go up, we cannot uh, sort of balance the economy on the backs of the poor, which was the first time this was said before Bush the second. Uh, sort of paraphrase that he said wages and capital gains must be taxed the same this is reagan uh, and began to to try and modify 
you know, his his pitch that, ah, you know, we've got to flush the government down the toilet, tax rates, you know, have to drop to virtually nothing. You know, he, he realized that, that that's not a good thing for this country. Now, at, at I love point, low taxes with, with everyone else, but you've got to say, what what are we getting for our dollars? Uh, what sort of investments are we making as citizens and taxpayers that that improve our lives, uh, secure the, the country, and preserve and protect situations for the next generation by research and development, uh, and, you know, major investment in our country. It's curious to me that, uh, and, and you know, in the in the coming period of time, it'd be great to go into it in more detail. But that the Congress never seems to contextualize their uh, the policies with you know the fact that there was a Second World War going on, or that we had the biggest uh, you know uh, military buildup during the eighties, or that there was a the tech boom or like what it always see it's always left to somebody kind of arguing on the side to kind of you know talk about how that might have actually had an effect on the total rates or whatever but but let's okay so we've talked about the we've talked about the uh the reversion to uh clinton era tax rates at the if uh you know if if remember the stock market boomed the economy was doing fabulously well we retired debt you know and had a surplus that was passed along to to George W., and that was under those horrendous, egregious rates in the Clinton era. All right, so let's <laughs> talk about these automatic draconian cuts that are meant to be uh, instituted automatically somehow after the first of the year if the if the uh, if the cliff happens or whatever. So I mean, is it uh, the the Defense Department? I think I saw on the the Hill today the the, the Capitol Hill newspaper. There was something about how the Defense Department was. You know, maybe publicly offering some some specific cuts, um, which they've been saying for a long time, I guess, that they they didn't need as much money as they were getting, I guess, or something like that. But um, but what, and then, so uh, can you shed any light for that, Catherine, on on what those what cuts across the board are supposed to be made, or how that was arrived at, or what how it's well, supposed basically to be made? you had both both sides who were trying to kick the can down the road and basically you know, created a, a piece of legislation saying if we don't take care of business, if we don't uh, come to an agreement on you know, the tax dollars, spending cuts, this sort of thing, then we're going to institute automatic cuts in entitlement spending and defense spending you know, sort of across the board so that we don't think it'll ever come to pass because that's supposed to give us the impetus to to wise up negotiations. But that's what seemed and, like and a Mexican standoff. That's what seemed like a Mexican standoff. The the Democrats were happy to agree with that because it would mean automatic defense cuts, and the uh, Republicans were happy to sign that because it would mean automatic uh, entitlement cuts. And they were basically, uh, you know, and I I have a theory that may I may let me try my theory out. Go on, on try the theory. <laughs> Catherine's going to be able to set me straight on this, but the the. Because the political environment is such, the way commercials are run in local districts, the way uh, the rhetoric kind of hardens and everything, that unless there is a a kind of hysterical, um, you know, brinksmanship narrative – that people can go back to their district and say, well, I wasn't going to be the only irresponsible person and let this catastrophe happen, so I bent a little bit on this, but that's why you have to send me and my friends back because we're going to, you know, once and for all fix that. I mean, yeah. and, 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 you know, I keep thinking, well, what, you know, if, if all of them were to gather together and say, okay, everyone who's here this cycle 
will automatically get to come back next cycle. Nobody's going to do anything. We're not going to support anything. If we agree to do what's ultimately in the best interest of the country, and then hopefully the story is, my God, look at Congress went from 8% approval to 75% approval because look what they were able to accomplish. I mean, is there any way to stop the the uh, the binary you know, war mentality uh, cycle that happens. Sigh, sigh, That's one of the reasons yeah, I wrote the book, not to plug Patriot X, but but you know, the the whole notion is if you if you go back and really understand the nature of a democracy, it is based on compromise, working together. You know, the left and the right both sort of laid down their arms and, as James Madison called it, created the grand compromise, which is our constitution. This sort of level playing field, not skewed um, one side or the other. And when you've got um, members who uh, are are telling their constituents, my way or the highway, ideology trumps, uh, you know, pragmatic, rational governance. Um, we we want to destroy the other side, you know, forget what real democracy is all about. And we you know, we've got to to shape the country in our misguided often image or or else then then we've thrown the opportunity to have a constitutional democracy out the window. And that's and that's where we are right now. Um Please don't don't promise that you will send them back if if they do something good. Let me point to, to one wonderful thing. I was watching um, a little clip from the uh, Sandy uh, the Hurricane Sandy concert, mm. and Chris Christie was there in the audience. You know, is just screaming, Governor Christie. And then they started discussing his poll numbers, which are through the roof in a Democratic state. And it all went north for him um, when he began to work with President Obama. Mm. Yeah, yeah a lot those of images, on the right those said, images. Oh my were... God, you you know you got him elected. He said, No, 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 no. What he did was, as a smart, wise politician, said, We're in a catastrophe. I'm going to go work with the people who can can help my citizens, yeah. who can make it right, who and fix it. And by George, he did what our politicians are supposed to do. And what happened? His poll numbers on left and right, Democrats and Republicans, went through the roof as people said, thank you, Jesus, we've got someone well, who so is trying to it, get things done. It's so clear if, he's, if you're in a, in, a, in, a, in a natural disaster and you've got your waiters on and, and the president lands and you're, you're walking through rubble and everything else. Well, I'm glad but, you say that because hearken back to Katrina, and that's not necessarily the case. <laughs> well, know, but, we, but the we failure had politicians that. who stood around with their thumbs, you know where, going, oh, geez, what are we supposed to do now? No, but they, so the the logic stands that you know it's it's sort of a litmus test. If there's a a major visible crisis, if you respond with elan and you respond, you know, in a way that is. Uh, clear, you know, I, I kept thinking with Christie, like he he he's really taking advantage of the fact that it is a political moment, and he's going to make sure he's got a phone. So if something happens, he can he can jump onto the White House and say like, hey, there's this, that, or the other thing. It it was in the best interest of his of his his people to to do that. So, but what but what is so frustrating to me is there's there are other kinds of crises that may not be as you know visible. They, they may, but they're uh, you know the, the, oh, we're in one long crisis right now. Absolutely. So what can people yeah, look yeah, at we, to we, see we can't always, you know, have people sort of collapsing on the street or, you know, buildings falling over to, to tell us that we're in a disastrous moment. And we, we just don't have 
uh, sort of the, the silent majority, the, the people who are supposed to, to manage their representative citizens, uh, don't make their voices heard. You've got a tiny percentage on the left and the right that do, um, and, and all of a sudden then our politicians are kowtowing to, to those groups. Why? Because the majority of citizens in this country are not vocal enough, but they did make a statement in the election. They did say, whether you want to say they, they supported Obama or uh, rejected Romney, they clearly said, we do not want this ideological um, you know, sort, of, sort of lockstep and, and uh, oppressive, you know, reverting to um, what I would say, you know, pretty unconstitutional, pretty rigid politics, uh, very corporatist, that we are a tolerant, pragmatic, rational, somewhat progressive uh, population. Republicans won the and, House. And, and we want to, to move forward in that regard. So people did speak, but they need to do that on a regular basis to corral you know, the, the kind of ideology that's driving politics in Washington. What about the debt ceiling uh, thing? Do you think the pre- right now one of the things that's being argued about is the president's ability to uh, kind of unilaterally, unilaterally raise the debt ceiling as he sees fit uh, going forward? That seems a little bit um, – that doesn't seem right to me. That seems like too much power and control of the executive. Well, the debt ceiling is, is an artifice. You know, it, it was created by Congress. Um, it, it didn't, it didn't you know, crop up sui generis. It wasn't, it wasn't around at the time of the founding fathers. So you know, it, is, it is something that can be um, you know, shifted, changed, abolished, manipulated. And in the in last couple of months, I've read several artists, uh, articles from esteemed econo- economists who said uh, we had to get rid of it entirely. Now, I'm, I'd like to think I'm fiscally prudent. Uh, I'm not forgiving Washington just major blank checks, but it's, it's an artificial concept that, that really doesn't, um, you know, doesn't deal with the, the debt, the deficit, the things that we're concerned about. How, um, if by, I had... by holding the limit down, look, these guys can't even enact policies when they mandated certain cuts in the military and, and entitlements, and now they're all scrambling to go, well, we didn't really mean it, we didn't mean it. You know, same thing with the, the debt limit. If you maintain the limit and we lose credit ratings and we start having banking problems around around the world, that doesn't mean we're all of a sudden going to get the, the rational spending cuts and revenue increases that we need. It's just an artificial thing that they're waving around as, as an excuse to, to well, you, call it a crisis you, and jab the other side. You, how, go how, ahead. How, well, how, how far back does it go? I, I know that I had never heard the expression until uh, about a year ago. Uh, when, what, debt ceiling? And, yeah. And, yeah uh, and when all of a sudden, you know, it was uh, well, everywhere good, in the news. That's a very cycles. good question. I'd have, to, I'd have to look that up. But I'm, I'm guessing, if I'm guessing, maybe the 60s would be the earliest that I could even fathom. Right. Um, I'm looking it up it, real quick. It, but, well, yeah. You can Google it for me. Yeah, I'm Googling. Gotta, yeah. <laughs> Google, Google faster. Google faster. Google faster. <laughs> now, because you know, it is not it, an it, old concept, she says, before the answer comes in. Right. Right. Um, uh, my the, – huh. So many, there's so many thoughts. You're going to find it, Mac. Yeah, I'll find it. it. (laughs) My ability to think across several lines is it it just seems like the Senate move to adjust the filibuster rule 
the president's uh, desire to include uh, a different mechanism for whatever this thing is of, of uh, authorizing the expenditures up to a certain you know ceiling or whatever they're 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 all trying nobody wants to kind of stop and actually work together they just want to keep adjusting the rules so that they can take advantage of it while they're in a position of you know while, while their party has a position of power in that particular instance and then aren't they going to get it's going to bite them you know four years later when they want to uh when, when that's the 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 mechanism they want to use for their own kind of pushback it just it just seems like i mean i'm looking here at your um uh, hold on one second. Let me just close this here. Well, this, uh, is, this is something I talked about in, in Patriot Act. In Patriot Act, yeah. Oftentimes you have a party manipulating the rules, uh, certainly making arguments, uh, taking political stances, uh, as if they they aren't aware that um, power can shift and that can, can come to be used against them, whether it's the filibuster, you know, is a great example. Uh, one of the things I, I screamed about in the book was all of the powers given to the executive branch in under Bush W, uh, uh, George W, because uh, that the Patriot Act, a lot of the, the foreign policy issues, sort of spying and essay stuff, all of that, because when the presidency changes to the other party, you better not be screaming about all that power you invested mm -hmm. in the executive branch that is now being used in ways you might not like uh, because you manipulated the rules, you expanded that, and guess what? Well, the, the other side of that not coin willingly give it back. The other side of that coin is that you know Democrats were screaming in arms about the uh, the the unconstitutionality uh, of the Patriot Act, and then uh, and then but you know since. President Obama's been in there. There hasn't been too many complaints that the executive branch has those, uh, you know, is the beneficiary of those new controls. Actually, I mean, there are a lot. If if you read, say, everybody from Matt Taibbi, uh, uh, you know, a lot of my sort of the favorite liberal, and I have favorite conservative writers as well, uh, there are a lot of them who have been screaming and yelling, and certainly I did in, in Patriot Acts, that um, – some of those issues, the Patriot Act kind of issues, are probably the greatest concern I have in terms of of uh, what Obama's been doing in the White House. Uh, he has not given back and, in fact, has expanded a lot of that executive power uh, in terms of foreign affairs in ways that, that trouble me. Well, you've written several books, Contempt, Final Analysis, A Deadly Game, The Case Against Lawyers, and Patriot Acts. You're just uh, you're a machine. You're this beautiful brainiac <laughs> machine out there. Um, hey, for what it's worth, the, uh, the debt ceiling uh, has its origins in the Second Liberty Bond Act of 1917. Uh, but the, uh, really? Actually, the, the phrase itself was established uh, by the Public Debt Act uh, in 1939 and 1941. So it goes back quite a ways. Oh wow! Okay, well, I I would have screwed that one up. Well, no, so I just, I feel they, like... they were there was a mandatory debt ceiling that had to be lifted starting back in the thirties. Uh, yeah, thirty nine and forty one, I believe. Wow. Uh, and it, okay. you know, it's it's continually gone up. But I, I never, I, I had never heard of it as uh, as sort of an arguing point or a bargaining chip or. Uh, well, it's been perfunctory. You uh, know, no, nobody sort of looked at it correct. as something that you could manipulate for right. political purposes until recently. Yeah, and and manipulate in a manner that I I, I think we can all agree uh, has not been very beneficial to the good. Of of everyone. Well, when people oh, can't agree on yeah. when, pe when people can't agree on uh, y you know the, the spending the spending cuts. Catherine, do you think the Republicans should have offered some specific ideas or do you think it was the 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 president's 
sort of uh, move to offer the specific cuts that would happen. And, you know, 500 million or a trillion or like what, what should it, because when, to me, it's the lack of ability to do that that ends up sort of pointing people towards things like the fiscal, uh, the, the, the debt ceiling or whatever it is, because it's a, it's a place that people can get hysterical about as emblematic of a particular way of being rather than actually dealing with solutions. How, who, who do you think should have, should have leaned forward and started that that uh well first of all we, we do need to remember yes the president has a bully pulpit on these issues and we're accustomed to having a plan from a white house but congress is the one that holds holds the purse strings and they pass uh the legislation to raise revenues to cut spending all these sorts of things the president can can but, suggest, but as a matter but as a but political is the one that acts and and to your point though during the campaign we didn't hear uh, the Republicans giving us specifics, um, if they were wanting to challenge uh, what you know, Democrats, uh, you know, both sides, uh, aren't being held to the, their feet to the fire. The media doesn't do it. All we get is horse race. We don't get much substance uh, when we listen to most television. We'll put radio aside. Well, I, I uh, think television programs, and I, I think that they're they're all quite culpable. Um, but we, we aren't getting a rational voice, and I'll say certainly from the right, because you cannot, you cannot uh, reject uh, appropriate defense cuts when we when our budget is larger than the next 14 nations combined. Uh, that's Russia, China, Germany, France. You put in. I was I was shocked 14, to see that. I was we got a bigger budget. I was shocked to see that uh, that that argument about oh soft on defense kind of thing after John McCain had spent a couple years talking about how it, you know it's it's totally appropriate and there's a lot of systems we don't need and so forth. But all I'm saying is that the Republicans the Republican congressional members, you know, it's a two-year cycle. Right. And they they it's if they go out on a ledge and say, maybe we should, you know, um, you know, whatever, whatever it is, reduce the retirement, not reduce yeah. the time and age. But 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 come up with what they think are some specific cuts that they'll take a hit for politically uh, that they that there's just not. I think the president who is in a second term now has nothing to lose to offer a lot more in social right. cuts. And then and he'll take a, a blowback from his own party. But then. The, the story might change. The story, then, then you know, the, the Democrats can say, you know, Mr. President, we really think that's too far. But, but at least he's, at least he's created a framework for a negotiation. Where, so, because right now, what are they doing? I, I, I wonder. This is one of the Twitter questions I asked. What do you think it must be like for, for Boehner and Obama when they sit down on the, you know, in a couch in, in the White House and no one else is around? I mean, do you, do you think they're really careful? Well, we, with what we don't know. We don't know. And if you, if you remember back early in Obama's first term. Um, he and he and Boehner were going, oh, they're they're talking and they're getting along, and then all of a sudden Boehner really got slapped down from the right, and he began to retreat. Uh, and this isn't sort of putting it his fault, but his members, just like we're seeing today, as some Republicans have come out and said, guess what? You know, we might be kind of okay leaving uh, the tax rate where it is or raising the tax rate on the top. Uh, percent, as long as we can maintain the cuts for 95% of this country, they've been giving a little bit, and boy, are they getting, you know, corralled and slapped down. So this is back to to the population. The American people have to step up and support vocally, uh, you know, visibly, those politicians who make rational gestures. We have to to make it, you know, a winning position. 
to to appropriately compromise to negotiate uh, when in fact you are going to garner a primary opponent and look at Bob Bennett in Utah, look at Orrin Hatch, um, others that have been targeted by the far right, simply because they would talk to the other side. Um, and we need to be be punishing as a nation, not political parties, um, any group that is trying to to undercut the nature of a democracy, which is people are voted into office. There are a lot of people in this country. We're pretty evenly split between Democrats and Republicans. we got to negotiate to move the country down the road under our political system. Other than that, we can have a dictatorship, tyranny by one side. They can get what they want. But if we're going to have a, a democracy, you've got to be supporting, encouraging, and rewarding appropriate, effective conciliation and compromise. Thank you, Catherine. Thank you very much. I'm going to take that thought with me into the next uh, <laughs> however many days watching this uh, watching this little thing. You know, it's I, I predict that they will solve it. Uh, I mean, I don't know about solve it, but I predict that they will come up with a a at least publicity compromise uh, before the end of the year. What, well, from your lips to God's ears, I, I'm an idealist and an optimist, so I'm gonna I'm gonna join you in that. But I hate to say it, I will not be surprised. If they say we're gonna we're gonna let things slide over this imaginary cliff and uh, see what happens, I'm gonna call you and we're gonna do a post mortem. Okay, you got it. Okay, bless you. Thank you so much for calling. Thanks, guys. Bye. Cheers. That's a smart lady. Oh my God, I, I'm like I'm so sick of politics because I don't speak to people like her enough. <laughs> that's why as soon as you, you, you go. listen to her talk, and, you know it's a tall order that she's uh, that she's speaking of. Though I mean, uh, you know, it's my personal opinion that uh, you know it's it's gonna it's it's a tall order. It's gonna be you know the, the idea of winners and losers is so deeply ingrained in the American. That's I was gonna say that to her. Yeah, I was and gonna say that. It's it's everywhere. It's abs- it's everywhere you look. What are you doing on January twentieth, Johnny? Yeah, you're watching football, football. Oh, because there's winners and losers. Super Bowl, a, a, a miraculous tell. tie in the Super Bowl this well, that's, year. I mean, that's, both sides compromised and agreed to share touchdowns. Right? That's the thing. That's really what we, yeah, what we need so, yeah, to, I, to I do. I was thinking the same thing when she was talking. I was thinking, you know what? If What you really need to come out of there is each politician needs to be able to have a victory. It's like the Japanese saving face. They have to be able to save face to their constituents and not just – um, but in a, the, you know, in in such a way that Grover Norquist and and the the, the Tea Party and the others who uh, can just—it's so easy to knock people down. It's really easy if you put your neck out there just a little bit, somebody can chop it right off. But if you if you really work hard to govern, uh, and uh, the, you know, she's saying it should be. Uh, you know, supported and encouraged and fed back that it's a good thing. And I don't know. Offer your thought before I do my little well, thing. Well, yeah, here. no, I just what, – what what encourages me is 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 looking back at things like the civil rights movement. And, and uh, you know, yeah, that's that's 50 years ago um, <clears throat> that uh, that African-American people were not allowed to vote. And it's, and it's, it's you know, 80 years ago or 100 years ago where a, 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 an African-American guy could get, you know, killed by a white guy. And uh, in certain places of the country, uh, the white guy would get away with it uh, by and large. Uh, sure, that still exists in some veins, uh, and and yes, there are still uh, plenty of, uh, of of difficulties and disparities in terms of racial relations. The but, of, in the eyes of the law, it's but, getting better. But we have made great strides, yeah. uh, and 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 you, it's only when you look at it from a perspective of a hundred years do they look like great strides, because from a day to day basis, it still seems like it goes on. But I think we're making baby steps towards the kind of society that Catherine was alluding to, and that you were alluding to, where it's possible for us to work together and not be seen as a system. Boy, Nancy Pansy Bansy. 
Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, Listen, power, power best expresses itself uh, in gentleness. And, 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 when, and when people, when people are, There's are, a dad come around to that idea, uh, it, we're, we're all going to be a lot better off. You know, the, uh, I'll go on. I used to give these uh, speeches at universities on leadership, and, and Dad gave me this great quote from uh, a Buddhist leader, uh, Ikeda, Daisaku Ikeda, and it said that the expression of uh, power... Will is what is it? It will not uh, is not in the. Um, oh God, I can't. <laughs> wait, I had it a second ago. Hold it, on sounds, it sounds great. I like it. So you said the expression of power is. Uh, in the oh, the true measure of power is not in the giving of orders, but the building of consensus. I, I couldn't agree with you more. It's pretty good. Look, Look, really? Just, Look what just I did. I just <laughs> built consensus. Wait, wow, that's Johnny. Guys, do you agree with me? <laughs> Sold. I'm powerful. All right. Let me just go. We're going to go to break here. But before we do, uh, the Toad Hop Network has secured itself another wonderful contract. And I must say that of all the commercials I might be able to read out, I am very proud to do this one in particular because we know the founder of the company, uh, Sherry, and the uh, the product is called Sherry's Berries. Oh, no kidding. And they're, yeah. Oh, right on. Yeah, Sherry's Berries, man. You, it's, it's chocolate. It's, uh, it's, it's big, beautiful. I don't know how they get the strawberries to be that good. I don't know what they do. They're good. They're big, luscious strawberries. And they dip them in all kinds of chocolate with designs and stuff. So let me, uh, let me do the, uh, <clears throat> do you stress when you think of holiday shopping? <laughs> Having to hunt for deals and then wrap all the presents? There's a gift that is sure to please that comes already wrapped and won't cause you stress. Boy, I don't know about the writing of this one. The stress <laughs> thing is it repeats itself. Did you write this? No, I didn't. Who wrote no, that? Sherry no, wrote that? that? Sherry wrote that. No. Uh, or two, have you decided what to give everyone on your list? Check off some people by today uh, by having uh, giant dipped strawberries delivered to them by Christmas. And they come uh, packed up. They're really tasty. I, I definitely am now going to go order some myself, and I recommend anybody else to do it. Ah, the radio offer. Here at the Toad Hop Network, send giant freshly dipped strawberries from Sherry's Berries starting at $19.99. That's over a 40% savings. I don't know from what, but it sounds good. Uh, describe uh, the berries in your own words. Ooh, <laughs> enormous, fresh, juicy, mouth-watering, dipped in white milk and dark chocolate goodness. They are so good that uh, they actually cause, I don't know if she'd want me to say it, they cause fights in the house because everybody's fighting over the, the strawberry. Uh, you know, and they don't last for a second. You know, you, somebody decides that they're going to be clever and put the little box in, the, and they're cool boxes too, the way he said it, in the refrigerator, and then you go back to the box and you open it up, and it's awful because somebody has figured out to get in there and eat those strawberries. So the uh, the only solution then is to order more. Uh, call to action. Access this special 1999 uh, Sherry's Berries offer. Call 866-FRUIT-02. Or even better, visit berries.com, B-E-R-R-I-E-S.com. Please spell out the word B-E-R-R-I-E-S.com. I'm just kidding. I love doing this. I always notice that the best commercials on news on shows are when the, the host like really likes what they're talking about. Uh, they also make a great hostess gift or snack for all your holiday parties. An absolute fantastic Hollywood day, Hollywood day holiday party. Um, there you go. Berries.com. Go there. Show, tell them uh, Toad Hop Network sent you. And uh, Sean Aston loves them, too. Take a break. You're listening to the Toad Hop Network, radio worth watching.
The SodaStream Soda Maker is fun as hell. The kids are going to love it. There's 50 different flavors, and it's healthy. There's no fructose, corn syrup, or aspartame. So pick one up at Bed Bath & Beyond, Target, Macy's, Kohl's, and Walmart. Or just go to SodaStream. To leave your house to shop, to crawl through traffic to the mall, just to find the thing you wanted. Isn't even there at all. Amazon.com is the answer. Shop at home and style and ease. Find exactly what you want. Ordering your stuff's free. Books on tape. Games galore. Everything you're looking for. Kindle. Cameras. Electronics. Baby Einstein. Hooked on phonics. Blu-ray. Movies. And TV. Download. Music. MP3. Pixar. Disney. Microphone. Pet supplies and doggy bones. World of Warcraft. Nancy Drew. Sims. The Scruff. System 2. Click Amazon. You'll smile with glee. Sometimes shipping's even free. Don't stress this holiday season searching for the perfect gift. Send giant freshly dipped strawberries from Sherry's Berries starting at just $19.99. That's over a 40% savings. These strawberries are enormous, fresh, juicy, and mouthwatering. Dipped in white milk and dark chocolate goodness. Covered with chocolate chips, crushed almonds, and decorative swizzle. Just go to berries.com, click on the microphone, and enter Toad Hop. And for Toad Hop listeners, they can double their berries for just $10 more. This is perfect for neighbors, friends, clients, co-workers, or just about anyone. They also make great hostess gifts or snacks for your holiday party. To get this special Sherry's Berries offer, call 866-FRUIT-02. Or even better, visit berries.com. That's B-E-R-R-I-E-S.com. Click on the microphone in the top right corner and type in Toad Hop. Order now. Offer expires Friday at midnight. Hey, Toad Hop listeners, what's going on? This is Christian Harloff. And I am Mark Ellis from Schmoes No. We are the only video reviewers accredited on Rotten Tomatoes. Look and now, you. Christian, Look somehow we got our own podcast on the Toad Hop Network. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. We basically go back and forth. And we have a co-host, Katie Sackoff from Battlestar Galactica. We talk movies. It's just kind of back and forth, regular people talking movies. We start talking movies at tangents into a number of different things. Sometimes yeah. we ask for it. Sometimes we don't. We take a lot of calls yeah. from everybody in our uh, dutifully named city, Schmoville. Those are our fans. To take a lot of tweets, yep. so make sure you check out the Schmoes No Movies podcast every Thursday night on the Toad Hop Network from 8 to 10 p.m. Yes, indeed. And if you miss it, go back, watch it on the ToadHopNetwork.com, download it on the audio from iTunes. Because look, we see movies before a lot of people do, but we can tell you about them if you like them, <laughs> blah blah blah. You know, that kind of stuff. Tune your own horn there with our press screenings. Know, While kidding. you are at our site or you're on iTunes, yes. please leave a comment and rate the podcast. Make us number one because we need it. We have self-esteem issues. Is that hunk of junk you call a car always breaking down and leaving you in the dust? Log on to Dyson-Motors.com and check out Dyson's full inventory online. With hundreds of quality cars in stock of all makes and models, you can find the next car of your dreams in minutes. And know you're getting super low pricing. Purchase a car today from Dyson Motors and receive a year of free oil changes. Bad credit? Worried about financing? Log on and get pre-approved in seconds. Go to Dyson-Motors.com and find your new car today. With Gamefly, choose from over 6,000 titles. Play as long as you want and send them back when you're done. $8.95 to start, no late fees. Gamefly.com. Games delivered. A great website if you are in the market for gift-giving, redenvelope.com. They have over 300 unique and inspired new products along with their classic favorites that are going to make gift-giving very, very easy. All you have to do is go to redenvelope.com, enter Heidi and Frank at the checkout, and save 20%. Welcome back to Vox Populi, the voice of the occasionally interested people. Welcome to hour number two of Vox Populi, a political talk show for people who spend more time managing their lives than their point of view. Here's your host, Sean Astin.
Vox Populi. I hope I get to meet them at some point. It's a great song. Meet who? My, uh, the, 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 uh, the Vox Pop. Hold on a second. 30 oh. seconds to Mars. Th- yeah, 30 oh, seconds no to Mars. Oh, no kidding? There, That's yeah. who, wow. You're yeah. lucky uh, I stole guy. their song. <laughs> I stole their song and I'm using it as the, we've been using it as the, uh, uh, so I hope I get to meet them and just tell them how much, uh, I, of course, uh, what if they hate me? What if they hate my politics? Um, <clears throat> Well, it's America, man. It's, uh, no, I love it that uh, a lot of times you'll find, like in the presidential campaigns, they'll be using a song like um, uh, John McCain and uh, what's, uh, Sarah Palin were using the Rudy theme. Song. Yes. <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, I wasn't going to say anything, but others others uh, didn't like the fact that that was being used in that way. And, and this, what was the, this year, there was somebody um, – it just always seems to happen. Somebody uses the song, you know, and they don't check whether what the party affiliation is of the people who made it, and they end up getting a little – Little egg on their face. I'm just reading through my little Twitter feed here. Uh, Ravenanrune, Ravenanrune, Ravenanrune uh, writes, "OMG, Sherry's berries. Those are so good. Sherry's berries. Just don't drop the box like my wife did. <laughs> huh. uh, but then you'll just have to have more. Um, uh, can't share your optimism while I watch the Senate vote down the CRPD. That is a no-brainer to me." Those are interesting. They, uh, that's the personhood thing, the uh, international mm. personhood thing, right? And then what is the international personhood uh, thing? I don't know. You look, at, you look up that one, and I'll tell you about this other one I know that we just voted down. Um, there is a um, – what's it called? The act that allows people to uh, – uh, that, that um, protects the rights of uh, uh, people who have infer- you know, certain um, disabilities, the Disabilities Act. The Disabilities Act. That's I think is what name. it is, right? <laughs> well, it set the standard for similar kinds of legislation around the world, and uh, the United Nations took it up and was going to make it kind of, you know, the global uh, bench, benchmark, right. the, the global standard against which, uh, you know, all other kinds of, uh, you know. Legal treatments would be for for folks like that, and uh, and the U.S. voted it down. Huh? U.S. voted it down. What do you suppose the logic was behind that? Well, uh, some people hate the United Nations with a with an absolute passion. Hate the United Nations and are uh, sort of uh, I don't know. I saw a couple of people who thought that maybe it would be um, giving the United Nations some sort of authority over U.S. law or something, which is ridiculous. Um, it didn't mean that. It just meant that it was basically like a proclamation. You know, like we propose that today is, you know, Tommy's day and because so, Tommy's a bit, you know, we, whatever. We, we, there's lots of proclamations that, that people make and they get passed and it's a ceremonial thing really. And what I got out of it was the U.N. was passing a ceremonial law that, you know, people could – point to as uh you know what the world community expects from you if you're uh on how you treat your your people but i was sort of embarrassed by that um have you seen this crpd thing uh no what is crpd crpd is uh the senate vote voted down the crpd oh and it also it was a treaty or it wasn't a treaty it was it was sort of billed as a treaty the thing i'm talking about but it was in fact a oh i can't remember the other legal term of art but whatever it was um uh, UN vote 
Uh, da, mm. Let's see if that's there. This is the. Oh, here's what that popped up that I had saved from earlier, uh, with relating to the fiscal cliff negotiations, and and uh, it's so annoying. It's so annoying to. Uh, and Catherine was saying how it's just process. You know, it's the it's the kind of horse race that that everyone gets, and it leads me to wonder what it's like in the private rooms when they're actually having conversations. And you know, she was saying people need to discuss things openly. And uh, wouldn't it be interesting if the political, if the uh, partisan caucuses had to have some of their discussions in a public setting? Right, it'd be fabulous. It'd be fantastic. Of, of course, it would change entirely the discussion. It would just make the halls more crowded as people were talking about what they actually wanted to do before they got in there. But you know, you you always see what uh, the committees are, you know, hearings are, but you never really get to know what happens, what the what the backroom deals are, and so forth. But but anyhow, um, this little thing that I pulled up says most of Congress in the dark on fiscal talks. Mm-hmm. Of the 535 members of Congress, not many appear to be in the loop about the fiscal negotiations. That makes the rest nervous about having to vote on a bill on short notice despite misgivings about what's in it. But this is often how major deals get accomplished in Washington. And uh, in these budget negotiations, the names Boehner and Obama come up most often, or virtually all the rest are on the outside looking in. Um, yeah, I mean, I always wonder what it's like to be a freshman congressman and be, you know, you have no power. You know what, man? You should find out. You should go ahead and find out for yourself. There's what no, would it be like to be a freshman? There is no doubt in my mind that you could run anywhere and win. Really? Without a doubt. Alabama? People love you. They do? Absolutely. Not only that, you're civic-minded. I am. You you are filled with compassion, uh-huh. which is a very important uh, characteristic, I, yeah. I believe, for somebody uh, who, who might God run for office. Bless America. You, you really should, man. You really should. That I love. I don't know about <coughs> my, thing, thank you, Mikey. Why, why why not? What are what are some? Let's get into this right now. Let's you and me talk about this right about now. About whether or not I should yes. run for office. Why wouldn't you? I used to always say I would love to hold public office, but I don't want to have to campaign for it. <laughs> totally. I believe you know most uh, of your that's camp- un-American. Most of your campaigning. Is, has already been completed, my friend. Really? No, are, it doesn't work like that. Are you that. kidding me? This country is led and guided by that which it sees in the movie theaters on the weekends and on television. Isn't it interesting, though, that a lot of times the billionaires can't purchase the elections that they want? A lot of Meg, times? A lot of times. Meg Whitman and uh, Forbes, and there's a whole long laundry list well, of really, really, really fabulously wealthy people who just can't quite buy their way into office. Yeah, because they didn't play Mikey in the Goonies. <laughs> I'm serious, man. You know that Jeff Cohen, who was uh, who yes, was chunk yes, yes. in uh, the Goonies, well, I'll tell the rest of the audience, that uh, he became the student body president of Berkeley. And what a body he had. And what a body he had. And I don't think he had to do the truffle shuffle. But he... Um, no, he looks great, actually. He's incredible. He's, yeah. he's, fi- he's thinner than me. And he's which is funny. Annoying. I actually came across an article he wrote about... Uh, <clears throat> Residual checks uh, that uh, was uh, was pretty was pretty darn funny. He's a bright guy. He's a he's a lawyer. He went and became a lawyer. He's an oh, entertainment lawyer that's now. That's fantastic. Yeah. Wow. I, I bet you he would make a pretty good running mate. Oh. Shh. Well, who's 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 running mate? Well, perhaps, the the chunk so Mikey was, ticket or the that's Mikey right. chunk ticket? That's got to be the Mikey chunk ticket. Come on, man. I was just hanging out with Corey Feldman. We we're doing a, an episode of that a show guy that is nowhere there. near the platform, bro. Uh, but he can open for our events. <laughs> he's got those. You know, he's a performer. Leaving it alone. Uh, yeah, he's awesome. I love him. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I mean, I always, um, I always wanted to. Why wouldn't you? Let's, let's well, first let's of all, listen, they don't. Some good we wouldn't be able to afford the house we live in on a congressman's salary. 
All right. So there's so you'd be at a house. Okay, there's one. <laughs> Keep going. <laughs> Which I'd be fine with because I'd be serving the public good, but I think the kids would be like, uh, Dad. All right, so your kids are against it. <laughs> kids you lose are against your house it. and your children are against it. Other than that, <laughs> give me a good reason. Uh, another good reason why I wouldn't want to or why I couldn't. Yes. Because right now I'm on why I couldn't. Right. Why would, uh, there's no reason why I wouldn't want to, except that, I don't know. Well, go on. Say it. Well, most of... <laughs> Most of my life has been a public, uh, has been relatively transparent publicly, but I don't know. I haven't always been of sound mind and body. <laughs> neither neither has the majority of this country, my friend. There's I know, but I just don't know if I have the stomach for people, you know, abusing me with that, you know, with, with it as I get older. You I, know? Don't th- I mean, that which does not kill you, man, makes you stronger. It might kill me. I don't think it'll kill you. It might kill me. With thinking like that, you, you know, you're you're a you're you've got a sister-in-law. I've mentioned twice today to to think about. I don't know if Christine. How, how would Christine feel about that? About you running for office? About that? Yeah. Well, I mean, she sees you run for office every day in your own damn house. Makes me well. Yeah. <laughs> and you know what? I can't get elected there. <laughs> I can't get elected there. My friend once told me you have to have uh, you have to win uh, your friends and family before you can win the country. And I'm like, well. Crap, there goes that idea. <laughs> um, I don't know. I mean, uh, it, would, it would be an interesting experiment for sure. I keep figuring a, that Christine would be um, – well, Colbert, I hope – have you seen this whole thing with Colbert absolutely. going after the, the uh, South Carolina let's nominee? Hope, let's hope Nikki Haley makes the right choice. I don't think she can. What do you mean? I don't think she could make that decision. Because she would look like a, a nudnik for putting a, a, a popular figure into office? Yeah, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, not not a nudnik. I mean, he Colbert. Anybody who looks at Colbert for more than ten seconds knows that he's a he's a whip smart guy. He's, I mean, he's incredibly smart. Sure. I mean, he had Peter Jackson on the other day talking about the Hobbit, and he put on a Tolkien clinic. Peter was like, "Oh, gee, I never realized that before." <laughs> That's great. <laughs> you know? That's and he great. was he was ta- he was talking Elvish, and he was doing all this kind of crazy stuff. But uh, but he he uh, he'd probably be. I mean, I, nobody mentioned Al Franken. Al Franken basically, uh, you know, walked the walk. Yeah, but you know what? I think he was more wonkish probably than uh, than Colbert. Uh, for sure, for sure. But and, it would be interesting. And it was, was able to be successful. I think part of the reason why uh, – If she could put it to a referendum or something, if she could find some way f- for the people to actually vote on her – I mean you couldn't really do that. It would but. be – It would be. I, I think the people who are in power are very, 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 very adamant about maintaining that power and being sure that nobody sees the man behind the curtain. And if she were to nominate somebody from outside the Washington Loop, uh, if that could be used, it's not the Washington way. Loop; it's the South Carolina, South Carolina, right? Yeah, the South Carolina right, outside loop. the South. Well, he is, you know, he's from South Carolina. But if 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 somebody, you know, uh, random, if if you will, like that, was able to go in and do a terrific job, then it would put her and uh, the rest of the people who are career politicians in well, an it awkward could make, position. It could make South Carolina. It could just be such incredible visibility for South Carolina. Sure. If she if she believed and got together with some of the leaders in the legislature and they thought, you know what, this guy I mean, he's clearly such a, a liberal voice. So and South Carolina is not a liberal, uh traditionally liberal kind of electorate. But if he uh, but if for some reason he could, you know, at least give some voice to the fact that he's not just going to be a rubber stamp for the most liberal ideas there. The fact that any vote, I mean, just it would just make South Carolina the most interesting piece in the Senate. What would be more? Who else would be more oh, interesting to hear about in the Senate than what Colbert? He would be on every. Nobody. And Pierce Morgan would be sick of him after a while. It's you know it's guaranteed. You know he he strikes me as the kind of guy that would. Uh, 
you know, that has a conscience and that has uh, a good heart and would want to do the best that he could possibly do uh, in, in a position such as that. But it would be very interesting to see how much uh, of his rhetoric would have to change based on the fact that he was on the inside. Now, you know, he and, he and Stewart are in the – John Stewart are in the very comfortable position of being on the outside and, and able to assail in any way that they want. And once you're on the inside – uh, it's it's a much different story. I, I just, you know, I, I would be fascinated to see the kind of accomplishments that he could, uh, you know, get done, accomplish, if you will, uh, <clears throat> with respect to that position. Were he able to uh, to gain it, he, I, I doubt that that he will. Uh, you know, there's just there's too much to lose for for. Uh, well, somebody Hayward. wrote here that Stephen, uh, and I guess this is at Stephen at home. Is that? Is that his? Is that Stephen Colbert? Sure. No, I can't yeah. be. No, it's not. Is it, does it got a blue check mark next to it? I don't look at it here. I think it is, actually. I see. Yes. Stephen Colbert. He's verified. Uh, <laughs> um, That's what I'm going to go for is Halloween next year. Stephen Colbert is a senator? No, a verified check from Twitter. You're going to go as a blue check? blue check. I like that. Oh, my gosh. That's funny. Um, I remember somebody went as a dangling Chad one year. Remember that in 2000? Unfortunately, I do. But uh, I, I think Colbert – somebody talked about his pay cut. Um, Scarlett Morel said that. I wonder if he – you have to divest yourself of certain holdings, but I don't think – does it mean you can't – can you give like speeches for $50,000 speech you know, or whatever like – Bill Cosby and Bill Clinton do and Colin Powell and those guys. When you are an active oh, – uh, as if you're in – you know – I think you can, I think you can. I don't know if you're allowed to hold two jobs at once. Somebody who knows the answer to this question, please call in and uh, disabuse me of the uh, of the of the. Uh, it's a it's an interesting question, isn't it? Well, it's be, it'd be fascinating. It would be absolutely fascinating. Oh, Fred Thompson was a senator from uh, Tennessee. Yeah, but he wasn't and, an actor primarily. I think I think he was a. Oh, I believe if you saw uh, the the Patriot uh, Patri Patriot Games, what was right. it called? Uh, Hunt for Red October? Yeah. I think Hunt I for, if you saw Hunt for Red October, would, would you would disagree. think you would totally disagree. No, but he was, you know, he had his fingers in uh, quite a few different pies. Uh, you know, he wasn't, <clears throat> he wasn't known primarily. Well, I mean, he was known as an actor, but he had a lot of other stuff going on. That wasn't, that wasn't his. But his was sole he, he was occupation. on like Law and Order for a lot of years, right? Sure, but who hasn't been? Who hasn't been? I was on Law and Order. There I played a, I played a Christian minister who was really extreme and he was raising up an, ar an army of Christian warriors to uh, fight the Muslim infidels. Jeez, and if you geez. sit back, I know it was great. It was a great speech. People were, uh, it got a little bit of attention. I remember when I was doing it, Christine's like, are you sure you want to do that? And I was, said, yeah, this All is, right. um, can you have a job <laughs> while in That should be the name of this show. What, listen to while? Sean Google. <laughs> well, I love it. I love it. No, I, I could listen to you Google the Whilst phone book. you work in Congress, did you just put whilst into Google? Uh, no, no. I put can you and then the AmericanConservative.com oh. whistle while you work Congress. Of course they use whilst. What, why? Why do you say that? Because they're conservative? Yeah. Oh, that's Pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. Is that, is that Colbert on the top of it? No. Uh, perhaps the signing yesterday of the Whistleblower Protection Enhancement Act is a sign of good things to come for our quarreling Congress or not. Or if not, perhaps we should let them uh, know we expect it to be. 13 years to obtain unanimous consent. Blah, blah. <laughs> blah, blah. Government accountability project. I want, I want more reasons why you won't run for office. I want a, uh, more reasons why I won't? Yes. We've got, you know, two decent ones so far, but... Um, 
Well, what I used to always say was if I thought there was a chance I could, like a legitimate chance I could win, mm-hmm. like I, I, I wanted uh, the the support of uh, some rich gr- groups. Dude. Well, you know what? A wealthy backer wouldn't be a bad thing, but, but you know, somebody in Congress who's there, like the, the uh, certainly the party leadership, I'd want to know that they didn't just, I'd want to know that they didn't, w- 